Well, we're going to continue in our series this morning going through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm glad you can make it out today. Really important message today. But in this series, we've really been um, taking a close look at the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it's a biography of Jesus, right? There's four of these. Um, and what we've been trying to do is each chapter, we've been trying to you know, take a story of focus out of each chapter and share that with you. Today will be in Mark chapter 8, and I want to talk to you, begin talking to you um, by discussing this, fine print. How many of you read the fine print? You can raise your hand. Okay, a couple, couple of you. Um, I try to, but I am guilty of skipping past it more times than I read it. Um, I've got a few actual fine prints to share with you this morning, okay? Um, first of all, the Vidal Sassoon hair dryer. You know, Vidal Sassoon, you know. If you don't look good, we don't look good. All right, the hair dryer comes with this fine print. Do not use while sleeping. Some of you needed to hear that today. The iPod shuffle. You remember the little tiny thing that was popular a while back? The little iPod shuffle. Nobody really has those anymore. But um, anyway, it's real small, right? It's a little small square thing that you listen to songs on. It literally says this, do not eat iPod shuffle. <laughs> Important. Uh, the Rowenta iron comes with this fine print. Do not iron clothes while they are being worn. <laughs> I have tried that. <laughs> not that, I mean the steam part, you know. Uh, if you buy black cat firecrackers, they say flammable. <laughs> Do not put in your mouth. Uh, the Superman costume. <laughs> it says, warning, this product does not enable you to fly. <laughs> and then finally, one of, one of our own, I don't see him here this morning, uh, Stephen England's gravy. It doesn't come with fine print, but it should. <laughs> oh, Stephen, you're right in front of me. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, buddy. Oh, I'm near side. I'm one of those sided things. I don't see close up. <laughs> Stephen, uh, Stephen cooks the gravy for our men's breakfast, okay? So um, his, <laughs> his product needs to come with fine print. It should. Um, it should say, warning, this product may cause dizziness, drowsiness, fatigue, bloating, mood change, depression, irritability, diarrhea, constipation. <laughs> Increased sweating, swelling, <laughs> unexpected weight gain. If symptoms last longer than 48 hours, consult your physician. <laughs> Appreciate you, Stevie. You know, we've all been guilty. Look, we've all been guilty of reading over the fine print. All of us do. And for, for some reason, different reasons, you know, maybe we just get in a hurry. 
or, or maybe we get so excited about the product, you know, about the thing. We're, all of our focus is on that, that we just kind of read right past it. And, and most of the time, actually, I would say pretty much all the time, the fine print is what? The most important information. Um, where am I going with this? All right, um, let me get there. In the very first chapter when we started this series, Jesus said, follow me. He, he said, follow me. And so that tells us that Jesus wants followers, right? Um, a lot of people like Jesus. Um, a lot of people love the idea of Jesus. A lot of people like things that he did and that he does. And a lot of people like the product, but few actually follow. And Jesus didn't say, I want fans. I want followers, you know. So what does that mean, right? Um, some of us understand this, but some of us may not know that, may not understand what that means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it require of me to follow Jesus? Well, thankfully, there's fine print. There's fine print for that. And, and we need to listen and read this fine print because this fine print is written in red. And what does that mean? It means these are the words of Jesus. When he says, follow me, he's writing the fine print as well. Right? It's not anybody else. It's not another company. It's not a legal team putting disclaimers out there. It's Jesus himself. So um, in Mark 8, Jesus really began to draw a line. This is really a pivotal moment in this gospel. He begins to clarify what it means to follow him. He begins to be very clear about this. And this, look, this morning is going to be a tough message. I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, but man, I really want to be able to tell you the truth this morning. I love giving you um, encouraging messages and, and, and making you feel good. And, but there's too many churches out there that do that every week. There's too many pastors out there that kind of avoid these, these areas because they're just tough, right? And man, I just, I wanted to be honest with you. I wanted to share with you what is in God's word, what Jesus actually says about this, because I love you. Um, and because I want to honor God and rightly divide the word of truth, right? Um, so this morning is going to be tough, but Jesus was a tough teacher, Man, some of the things that he said and taught were just so, so tough. So um, it's going to be very important this morning. Three things we're going to talk about. First of all, to be a follower of Jesus means that I declare Jesus as my king. I declare Jesus as my king. To follow Jesus, you, you declare him as king. This is where it starts with how you view Jesus and who you believe that he is. Who is he to you? right? Um, Jesus really gets personal here. I want you to notice all the personal pronouns that is used in this scripture we're going to read. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Now Caesarea Philippi was on the northern boundary of Israel, and this was a place that was known for its 
pagan worship, known for its many temples and all these pagan gods, right? And, and if you've got a map in the back of your Bible, this is a long way from Jerusalem. And it would have taken some time to get there. And Jesus, to my understanding and to, to our knowledge, this is the only reason that Jesus goes there, is to teach them this lesson. He goes there in this context around all these temples and stuff like that. And he asked him, who do people say I am? In other words, what are, what are people saying about me? Who, who do people think, think that I am, right? Notice what they said. They replied, verse 28, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. People had seen Jesus do amazing things. We've looked at many of these amazing things. He had large crowds following him. They had heard him teach and preach with authority. They had witnessed how he challenged the status quo, how he challenged the religious leaders, but also they, they saw how he showed love and compassion to the needy. And so a lot of people thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Okay? There's a problem with that. John was dead, right? He, he had been killed for his faith, but people still thought Jesus was John the Baptist. This was a, um, a popular theory. Herod even thought this. He thought that John, Jesus was John the Baptist coming back from the dead. So this rumor sort of spread, and, and many Jews thought that Jesus was Elijah, there was this Old Testament prophecy that an Elijah-like figure would return before the judgment of the world. And so many of the Jews sort of thought, well, Jesus is this Elijah guy, right? Others thought he was just like one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the greats that you read about, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, the Daniels, right? What, what we need to understand is there was 400 years between the last prophet and this time. And so these people were like, man, I remember you know, grandmother talking about prophets. I've never seen one. I've heard about them. I've read about them. There would have been this anticipation that, oh, the, a prophet has returned, and so they're thinking Jesus is one of those. That's what people, not just a few people, but many, many people were saying. They were saying many different things about Jesus. There were many views of who Jesus was, but you know what? None of them were right. None of them. Notice what Jesus says next. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Notice he didn't say they were wrong. What do you say to somebody that gets your identity wrong? Oh, you got the wrong person, buddy. You know, you're talking about, he, do, he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to correct them. He says, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Peter here, I love this about Peter, you know. Um, he was really quick to speak up. He said, you are the Messiah. Now, Messiah isn't a name. It's a title. It's a, it's a, it's a title. And it means God's anointed one. And for us, we can, what that means is king. Okay? It means king. Uh, all the things that the people thought Jesus was were great. I mean, man, even Jesus said there's not been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That 
right? And then Elijah, a pretty, pretty big prophet. All the things that they were saying about Jesus were great, but nothing compared to the king. Nothing. Matthew's account tells us that when Peter does this, Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it was God that revealed this to you. And upon this, upon the fact that he is the Messiah, Jesus is declared the Messiah, upon that, he will build his church. Now, the church isn't built on Peter. It's not built on a pastor, okay? It's not built on a denomination. It's not built on an association. It's built upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the king. That's what the church is built upon. As a matter of fact, that's what it means to be a Christian. I know so many people will identify as being a Christian without knowing what that word means. Christian means of Christ. Um, I've heard it say little Christ, but the, the accurate translation is piece, a piece of Christ. So it means, you know, when, we, when we're all together, all the Christians were the body, individually we're pieces. Okay? So it means, a Christian means of Christ. And Christ is the Greek word for what? Messiah. So when you see, when we use the word, and we, a lot of us just throw it out there. We're just saying Jesus Christ. What you're actually saying is Jesus Messiah. Jesus King. When you call yourself a Christian, you are actually saying, I'm of the King. He is my King. Wow. The Christian faith is built upon that fact that Jesus is the King. Now, what Peter did is what all of us need to do. We need to get to that point in our life where we declare him as king. And the thing is, Jesus wants us to do that. Jesus wants us to get to that point in our life. You've heard of this term, define the relationship, that phrase. You know, most of us will understand this in the context of a, you know, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend type of thing. You know, if you're not married and you're, you know, you're dating somebody, there eventually needs to come a time where you're like, what's going on here? Are we just friends? What, what's going to take place? All right. Is there something more to this? How serious does this need to get? Right? Um, so me and my wife were, were married. <laughs> there was a time when we were not married. Okay. This is where I'm going. Um, so there, there had to come a time where, I was like, well, where's this going to go? What does this relationship look like? There, there needed to be a line in the sand. And I was staying at, I was living in Wake Forest, North Carolina, on the campus of Southeastern Seminary. Uh, that's a long story. But anyway, um, I made the decision down there that I was, that she's the one. Like I, I declared that. I made that decision. And so I called her and asked her to marry me over the phone. <laughs> you see, guys, I didn't need no romantic backdrop. No rivers or mountainsides or big reveal party, whatever. I don't know. You know. 
But, you know, it's like, so I made the decision. And I drew the line. And, you know, I asked her. I made the declaration. You see, you see where I'm going? There came a time where I just had to go in. I had to dive in. I had to cross the line. There comes a time when you need to do that with your life, with your declaration of Jesus. We have to do the same. If you want to be a follower, you can't just flirt all your life. You can't just court with Jesus all your life. You can't just study and and just learn and, and just stay on the other side of the line all your life. There comes a time when you cross the line. Who is he? Is he your king? I mean, not only king of the world, but is he king of your heart, right? Comes a time when you need to decide that. Have you made that declaration? And look, this is something you need to decide on your own. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa cannot make that decision for you. Jesus says, who do you say I am? You know, Jesus never told them that he was the Messiah. Did you get that? He never gave them any hints. He let them decide for themselves. Then at the end of this, Jesus said not to tell anyone about him. Uh, That's kind of odd. Uh, Jesus says this many times, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason he says that to them at that time. Um, if, If people found out that he was the king during this time, they probably would have revolted. Things would have gotten crazy. You see, Jesus came for a very specific purpose. He came to go to the cross. He came to die. It was to die for the sin of the world. But just backtrack to this time. Did the disciples know that? No, they didn't. They didn't know that. Um, Which leads us to the next thing that being a follower of Jesus means. You declare him as king and then this, I place my trust in him. I place my trust in him. If we declare Jesus as king, then we need to trust him as king. If you don't trust Jesus, the declaration doesn't mean very much. It doesn't. Verse 31, let me show you. He then began to teach them many things that the Son of Man, and this is Jesus' title for himself. That's how he says, I'm relating, I'm representing man to God, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. All right. And Jesus is telling them what's going to take place. And this is the first time that he talks about his death to them. But when did he do it? When did he do it? Right after Peter declared him as the Messiah. What's, he do, what, what's Jesus doing there? Well, I think he really felt love for them and wanted to share this information with them, but, but I also think this. I think he's testing their trust. He's testing their trust. Well, how did Peter react to this? Verse 32, Jesus, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> now, Jesus didn't try to water things down with this. He didn't try to make it easier for them to hear. He just came out and, and told them, look, this is my plan. This is what's going to happen. But that didn't go over well with Peter at all. 
And so the first person to jump to say, look, you are the Messiah is also the first person to say, look, I, I don't think you're making the right decision. Do you see the indifference there? There's the declaration without the trust. And Peter rebuked Jesus. And rebuke means to disagree with the goal of correction. It's one thing to disagree. It's another thing to try to correct. In other words, he thought Jesus was wrong. He thought he was doing the wrong things. And, and he wanted to, to try to get Jesus to change his mind. He, he wanted to change the outcome of this in verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He, and he says this, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely humans, human concerns. So Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebuked Peter back. And G Jesus went, even went as far as to say, as to compare Jesus to Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? No, but Satan is the enemy, right? And always goes against the Lord's plans. Always, always, always. We don't actually know what, what happened here, but it's clear that Peter didn't trust Jesus. Very clear. It says, Jesus told him that you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, it's probably true that Peter was thinking about himself. But here's what this literally means. It means that God's plans were not in Peter's head. Okay? Um, it, it goes along with that verse in, in Isaiah, the Old Testament verse that talks about your plans are not my plans. Your ways are not my ways, such as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It, this literally means that God's thoughts are not in Peter's head, not in Peter's mind. They don't exist there. And Jesus will go on later to say, I know you don't understand things now, but one day you will. One day you will. Here's the thing in all this. God had a plan that Peter couldn't understand. What Peter should have done was trust it. You know, many of us can relate to Peter, to 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 the way he felt, to the way he responded, right? Am I wrong? We, we, can, we can say we love Jesus. We can claim his as our king, but then things go on in our lives and we begin to worry, we begin to doubt, we begin to question. God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, I'm struggling to trust in your plans god i'm really doubting your ways right we all struggle with trust we do i do i know with the disaster relief stuff um i'm i'm pretty organized uh i don't i'm not bragging about that but that's just the way i am sometimes i'm overly organized a little bit obsessive compulsive, right? And I don't think it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a hindrance. Um, and so this disaster relief stuff at the beginning, it was just really hectic, you know, with, with everything going on. And so, you know, a lot of moving parts and stuff. And, and for somebody like me, 
That's hard. That's hard. Because what do you have to do? You have to trust the system, right? And there's so many things that I would have done differently, but that's okay. That's okay. There, there's more ways to, to accomplish a goal. And look, looking back on it, I'm like, man, it's, it's kind of working out. It's all working out now. But what I needed to do was to trust in that. And what we need to do is even when we don't understand, even when we would do something different, even when we look at God and say, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? We need to trust him. We need to trust him. God has his own way of doing things. Following Jesus means I am submitting to the ways of God. You know, many times it is hard, hard, hard to trust God. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Many times God will bring things into our lives to test our faith and our trust. He will. But it's during those moments that being a follower of Jesus means that you yield your life to the king. Which leads us to the last thing we'll talk about today. Being a follower of Jesus means that I give my life to be used for his glory. I give my life to be used for his glory. So you declare Jesus as king, you place your trust in him, and you give your life to be used for his glory. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever, all right, let's, let's just listen here. Let's, let's listen to this verse. Whoever wants to be my disciple should, must, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up somebody else's, their cross, and follow me. Definitely one of the most important verses in all the Bible, but probably the most uh, skipped over fine print in all the Bible as well. He brings everybody together, the disciples and and the, the rest of the crowd, and after telling them that he was going to the cross, he says, look, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to If you want to be a follower of me, you're going to have to pick up your cross too. You're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross too. (laughs) Imagine being in that crowd. What is this guy talking about? I must be in the wrong meeting. I'm here for the fish and bread convention. What, What was he talking about, right? I'm going to close. Let's just let's, um, come together here. He was talking about denying your life and giving your life over to him. Denying your life and giving it over to him. Look, Jesus was literally talking about losing your life for him. Literally. Literally. Jesus' audience would have been familiar with the cross. Remember when we started in Mark, I told you that Mark's audience was Roman Christians. They would have been very familiar with the cross. They would have seen all this stuff, how cruel it was. They would have seen it each and every day of their lives, would have witnessed thousands of crucifixions. And Jesus is like, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to pick up one of those. Follow me. The disciples, they didn't understand this at the time. Post-resurrection of Jesus, um, 
every one of the disciples, minus John, would be martyred because they followed Jesus. Okay? The Bible that we, that we read, a man named William Tyndale was the first to translate the Bible into English. I know we throw so much into the King James. Before the King James was William Tyndale. Okay? A couple hundred years before the King James. Uh, William was burned at the stake. Many of us, we read these words each and every day, and we don't even think about William. But he lost his life for the Lord, for the kingdom. Not only him, but his, his family was burned. Okay? Christians all over the world today are persecuted for their faith. Well, we got it good here. We do. It literally means losing your life to follow Jesus. So Jesus was talking about losing your life literally, but he was also talking about this. For those of us that will probably never face this. He was talking about figuratively and spiritually as well. To die to yourself. Jesus was saying, I'm going to go and lay my life down for you. And if you want to follow me, you have to lay your life down as well. Another gospel account says to pick up your cross daily. This is how we know it's, liter- it's uh, spiritual. You can't literally die daily, Right? You pick up your cross daily. It's a choice that you make spiritually and figuratively to lay your life to the side. It's a choice. You die to yourself each and every day, which is a struggle for us. We wake up every morning thinking about what we got to do, what's on our agenda, our lives. And Jesus is saying, no, you die to yourself. Sounds kind of bleak, doesn't it? I mean, why, why do I need to do this? I mean, what's, what's in it for me? Well, here's some fine print before we close. Verse 35. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. There's a paradox there, but Jesus said in order to save your life, you have to lose it. This is the key for us. We want to save our lives, don't we? We want eternal life. We want a blessed life. We want the life that God has in store for us. In order to have that, we have to lose this life. You give up this life in order to gain a better life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You, de- you declare him as king, you trust in him as king, and you give your life over to him for him to use. A life with Jesus as your king may not be easy now, but one day it will all be worth it. That's what we need to believe. You give up your life in order to gain the best life forever. You exchange this very short amount of time here for an eternity of joy and happiness and peace. Man, um, one of my coaches in high school passed away yesterday. I just got the, got the word yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Younger, young guy in his 50s. It just shows us the brevity of life. We, we give our lives over and look, life passes us by like that, like a mist, like a fog. 
We do that now in exchange for eternity in glory. That's the hope we have. That's the reason. Does the Lord have your life? Have you given it to him? For us, it's hard to give our lives over to Jesus. We want to hold on to certain parts of our lives. But we need to learn to give it all to him. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's what we need to do if we want to be a follower of him. I saw in the news where uh, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon CEO, y'all know who he is? The world's richest man. Okay. Um, I saw where he is giving 10 billion dollars I said billion y'all with me billion 10 billion dollars to save the planet right I mean that sounds good doesn't it here's what I'm getting at can you imagine if somebody like Jeff Bezos became a Christ follower and gave his life to be used for the glory of God Wow. Imagine what God could do through your life. You might say, I don't have very much. I can't do much. Man, a life that's given over to God can do great things. Things that you never even dreamed possible. A yield, a harvest that you never ever thought you could do. But with God, all things are possible. And with God, he takes what's little and makes it a lot. He takes the Long John Silver's kids meal and, and feeds 20,000 people. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, somebody like Jeff Bezos, wow, but somebody like you. And somebody like this lady here. Got a picture of her. Her name's Shelva. Um, Shelva's from Waynesboro. Virginia, she came down and stayed with us all week in our gym last week. Okay. 80 years old. Right? Out there cleaning up, out there working in the mud, out there serving people. I asked her, you know, what's it like to have so many good years behind you? She says, oh, the best of my life is yet to come. That is the mindset that we need to have. While I'm breathing, God, my life is yours. God, while I'm living, my life is used for your glory. I could be at home resting, taking it easy, doing this, doing that, traveling, caught up in this world, but no, I'm going to live out my life to serve you, to serve others, and to glorify your name. And you know what? $10 billion is nothing compared to what Shelva has in store for her when she gets the glory. Amen? Nothing. Nothing. That's what we need to understand. A life submitted to following Jesus is a life that will reap an amazing harvest and do significant things for the kingdom. Jesus wants followers, folks. Are you following him? Let's pray together. Father, this morning we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. And we see that it's clear that you want followers, not just 
people that are interested, not just people that um, give you lip service, but give you their life. I pray this morning that we would do that. Father, that we would declare you as king and that we would trust you um, despite whatever we're going through, despite our circumstances. And Father, I pray that we would give our lives over to be used for you. Father, I pray for those this morning that are struggling with this, that may have never made this declaration or decision. I pray for those this morning that are struggling to trust you in certain areas of their life. I pray for those this morning that feel like they've never really given their life over to you. I pray that they would hear you this morning, that they would feel your spirit drawing them to you, and that they would just yield their hearts and their lives over to you this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.